It's recording. All right, thanks, man. Just put it on top of it. Okay. Maury Amsterdam, who was a late comedian who was on the Dick Van Dyke show back in the 60s, made a statement one time in one of the shows concerning money that has stuck with me. Wow, that's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> Satan trying to keep me from doing it, I reckon, huh? All right, we'll try it again. Anyway, Maury Amsterdam was a comedian. I'm mean, a real-life comedian, but he was also on the Dick Van Dyke show back in the 60s. And he made a statement concerning money that has stuck with me since I heard it this one and only time that I ever heard him on this one particular episode of the Dick Van Dyke Show. And I may have told you all this before, but it bears repeating again. And he said this, money is the root of all evil, but that's one evil I'm rooting for. <laughs> the topic for today, of course, is money, if you hadn't figured that one yet. Actually, the proper statement, of course, is the love of money. And money in and of itself being an inanimate object cannot entice you through words and actions. It can't make you change your thinking. It can't change your habits. It lays there. We pick it up, and when we pick it up, the transfer of responsibility becomes ours. And to that end, money never kills on its own. It never causes anyone to take drugs or, or become an alcoholic on its own. For that matter, it never decides for you to buy that house that you can't afford or to purchase that car that's too expensive. Money left in a pile in the middle of a room is absolutely worthless. If no one knows about it, it becomes meaningless. We owned an old home back in the 80s that we called the money pit. It was about 45 years old, I guess, when we moved into it. It was literally draining us dry financially. One Sunday afternoon, I was painting a closet that I, I suppose would have been the, the cl closed closet for the master bedroom for the couple who lived there previously. As I was painting that closet that Sunday afternoon, I noticed a piece of wood on the inside up above the door that had just been nailed there about yay wide. I felt around in there, and lo and behold, there was money. $1,642 worth of money. The man ran a business out of a, a building behind the house, and with the dates on the bills being about 1960 for the most part on those various denominations, uh, I would have to assume that the man was paid in cash for some job that, you know, to kind of like go around Uncle Sam or whatever the case may be. I don't really know. But he died at some point between the time that he put that money up there and in, then into the 1980s when we moved into the house. We had some bills that were beyond due at that point, and that money helped us tremendously. The money had laid there for over 20 years, not helping anybody. It, it was valueless, but it was worthless, and it, it just held no value to anyone at that particular time. It was just there. No one was able to use it 
because no one knew that it even existed. It did not exist at that particular time for anyone except for the man who had died. We searched every square inch of that house. <laughs> but we found, I mean, under the house, out of the attic, the whole nine yards, okay? We found no more money. We had no earthly idea of what he was saving it for. He obviously had not told his family about it, but I will tell you this, to make me look a little bit better at least anyway. His daughter and I were very good friends, and uh, they actually rented the building from behind our house. <clears throat> and I went and told her about this money. And she said, well, y'all bought the house, and that money came with the house, so it's yours. I'm like, okay, works for me. Didn't ask her twice. So these little paper rectangles, painted in various colors with various VIPs on them, with little things kind of hidden in them to be able to detect counterfeit bills, things that some people seem to falsely think that in order to make the economy go around, all we got to do is just print more of them. Many people today, and I suppose that there's been a financial system in place for however long this country has been going on or maybe even well beyond how a financial system had been created for the world at some point in time, I believe that this, this thought has, has entered everybody's mind at some point in time. This money makes the world go around. But that's not true. Look closely at 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 again. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs of hunger of various types. It has nothing to do with these little rectangles left on their own. It has everything to do with how we feel about them. Maybe even the concept of what wealth is to each of us. I think I've told you all this before, but so many people believe that if they just won the lottery, all their problems would be over. For many, that's really when their problems begin. Drugs, alcohol, exorbitant spending by the folks who all of a sudden became wealthy. All these things potentially can come into their lives. They didn't listen to sound advice concerning how to spend that money, not, not haphazardly, but frugally and wisely. Look at what our study in Proverbs has been about since day one. Listen to wise, sound advice. Don't be stupid, basically, is what Solomon has been saying. Many of these people who have, have won lotteries over the years in various states have lost everything that they won, maybe even more. They've gone broke. Some have even died because this wealth that they perceived to be so necessary in their lives became an albatross that they could not overcome. And it dragged them into the grave, almost literally. Ah, but elder, you don't understand. I have such great plans for my, me and my family. If I could just win the lottery, I wouldn't blow it all, I promise you. My ship would just roll on in. We could be so happy. Some of the saddest people in the world are the ones who have the most money. You want to know why? They're terrified somebody's going to take it from them. 
They are scared to death. They can't get enough security around them for them to actually feel secure. So with these positive thoughts going on around us about this green stuff we call money, let's look at our passages from Proverbs today. One thing I left out is giving to the church. Oh, boy, if I had a lot of money, you can bet I'd give a whole lot to the church. Our first passage this morning is Proverbs 20, verse 10. Listen again to this verse. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both like an abomination to the Lord. Different translation. What in the world does that have to do with whether I would give a bunch of money to the church or not? I'll preface that with another one of Jesus' statements. Let's look at Mark 10, 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if that's not ominous, I don't know what is. Look at one more passage in Mark, though, and we begin to see what's being said here, okay? Same chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. It's the story of the rich young ruler. One who by admission to Jesus had followed the commandments. He had done all that was expected of him in terms of following the law. Jesus tells him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And then you come and follow me. Not before, not during, but you do this before you come to follow me. And the young man went away sad. You see where Proverbs 20.10 kicked in for this young man? Jesus knew that as long as this fellow had a shekel in his pocket, his heart would never be totally for Jesus. With that one shekel, he could have made another one, and then another one, and then all of a sudden he'd have had enough to be able to make a business deal to get eight shekels. And then all of a sudden... And you can tell from there where the young man's heart would have been. But did you see how you got caught up in the story that I was just telling as well? You see how easy it is for us to get caught up even in just a story about making money. So this can happen to any of us. What Solomon tells us here is that as long as we are unequally burdened with money, or anything of this earth for that matter, we will generally be unequally yoked with a love for Christ. The earthly, that which we can put our arms around, our hands on, our interests into here on earth. How tough is it going to be to find more room in our lives for a love for God? Why do you think the Israelites and the sacrificial system to God why were they required generally to give of their first fruits? That was their very best. That was the finest of all that they had. There was a method to giving this way. Giving the best that they had to God meant it was not a haphazard, let me see what I can find off the floor and I'll give it to God and hopefully that will be okay type of mentality here. The best always came to, uh, to be grown first or to be raised first. The best was, was cared for, especially. It was prepared for, especially. It was the biggest. It was the best. It was the tastiest, the sweetest, the best looking of all that the people had. 
that they potentially could have had for the rest of the year. Maybe had they sold it on the open market, as we would like to say, maybe it would have brought more money to them than they could ever have imagined had they sold that. But what they were doing, they were cultivating this crop or cattle or whatever it might have been at that moment. What were they doing with that uh, that stuff? They were growing it for God. They were developing it for God. They weren't creating it so that they could pocket more money. God was to be put first and foremost. How many times do we see in the Old Testament the words that I am a jealous God? We see it quite often. If we get into a habit of putting God somewhere other than first, we're going to put him last. It's as simple as that. If being poor for a very long time was our focal point of life, how much quicker do you think being rich would become that focal point of life? Again, leaving God out of it entirely. Look at the first four commandments. We're to put God in His day of rest before all things of this earth. To that end, look what He did for us. He gave us His first fruits. He gave us His Son. Wonder if God might just have had Proverbs 20, verse 10 in his mind when he was weighing, sending his son to save us. Wonder how things would have worked out for us had he put his thoughts and desires concerning himself first rather than us. Whether we have a dime or a gazillion bucks, where do we put God in the order of importance in our lives? I totally understand what Jesus was saying about the rich man and the eye of the needle. In my life, honestly, those words have been very scary because I've known a lot of people in my life that had a lot of money. And it scared me to death that they did. But I didn't understand this passage quite as well as I do now. But if they are, they can be very scary words. While money is our theme this morning... We've got to understand that there are so many things, though, of this world that we can place before God. It doesn't have to be just money. It can be anything that we place above God. This is, I think, the unequal weights and measures that's being talked about in this passage. If those are given to us unequally, something is going to be out of balance. It's that simple. And balance is is exactly what we're talking about here. Not letting the world take more of your life than our love for God does. So we've got to focus on putting God nothing but first in our lives in order to keep things in balance. Proverbs 21.6 says this, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Now we talked about this verse a few weeks ago, but Proverbs 21.2 Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. In other words, in these two verses put together, we see that while man may lie to further himself and see himself right in his own eyes doing it, the Lord knows the heart. We think of the term ill-gotten gains, and what does that remind us of? It reminds me of Barney Fife right off. 
But that's another story. I just listened to see if y'all were awake or not, okay? Should have been a little bit of a chuckle there, but that's all right, all right? Anyway, we, we think about someone who takes advantage of others for wealth of some kind or, or position or stance in life. And yet, how many people start out doing evil to further themselves? Think about that. Classically, you know, at some point in time, maybe a thief. They may do it for the fun of it. They may do it for the thrill of it, whatever the case may be. Perhaps maybe it's someone who doesn't have enough money to be able to feed their family, and they go out and steal to be able to feed them. Maybe it's someone who just doesn't want to work honestly for a living. Now, those are classics, okay? But how about the guy that fudges his numbers on his tax return to keep from paying as much tax or to get a bigger return? or to get a bigger bonus at the company where he works. He fudges those numbers of what he has actually done for the year, thinking that maybe that will just slide on by the boss and I'll get a bigger uh, bigger bonus. Perhaps maybe it's even something as, as, uh, as simple as using a, uh, a disability si- uh, sticker on your car to be able to park in a better place. Or perhaps... It's even something as simple as as not necessarily having anything to do with your money. Maybe it was for a grade. Maybe it was for a better place in line. Maybe it was to get out of the draft back when there was one. Not many people here in this room today might know about that, but you get the idea of it at least anyway. I signed up for the draft in this building, by the way, many years ago. Many times we do things that maybe even later we might regret, even if we're not caught. But those things, those sins, are ones that stick with us almost our entire lives, aren't they? They linger in our hearts and our minds. That is, if we have become a follower of Jesus, they will really stick with us. But we have the forgiveness of sins, as Brett so well said this morning. God's grace is greater than the sins that we can commit. And we don't even want to get into a race. I like that one. That was a good one. Here Jesus tells us in Luke 12, verse 15, not to be so wrapped up in our earthly possessions, no matter what they may look like, don't be engulfed in covetousness of, of what others may have. That may include more than money. Could be things, could be knowledge, could be any number of things that others may have. Also, I want you to remember Proverbs 21.6 can have two meanings. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue can mean lying to others to get what you want. But it can also mean lying to yourself to justify the means to an end. Here again, know that the Lord knows the heart, as verse 2 reminds us. Finally, we have Proverbs 22, verse 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come poverty. This is an interesting verse here. Breaking this down a bit at a time, I think the first part's pretty obvious. If we take advantage of the poor for our own gain, not good. For a person to do something like that should be considered a fool. To that end, if we take from the poor to give to the rich, again, this is wrong. 
It, it's about taking care of me because somewhere or another, if you're taking from the poor to give to the rich, you've got your hand in there somewhere, okay? You're not going to get out of this just for good thoughts and all that kind of stuff. So you, you've got to understand that this can go both ways. It, it's about taking care of me rather than taking care of others. But let's look at it another way. Here's where it gets uncomfortable. I read a statement that will make you think. I want you to listen closely to this. Prosperity is the reward of the righteous for his humility and fear of God. Did you get that? Prosperity is the reward of the righteous for his humility and fear of God. However, poverty is the reward of the wicked for his oppression of the poor. Isn't that interesting? Now let's look at how a statement like that might be true. Look at, Pro look at Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The more the poor borrow from the rich, the richer the wealthy become. Debt can be a form of oppression of the lender to the borrower. High interest rates can kill a man, a poor man. Slavery was a debt or a payment that was owed to the, to the creditor or to the slave owner in that sense in some warped kind of way. Borrowing money at a high interest rate while the payments may be low, the interest rate is unbelievably high. Credit cards are an excellent example of slavery. Make your minimum payments and it'll take years and years to pay that debt off, if you're able, ever able to pay it off at all. And the money that you will have paid the credit card companies is astronomical. Don't make the payment, you can't use the card. Don't pay for several months, they won't forget you. I can promise you that one. More debt comes along because their attorneys now are going to be in your pocket. And they, you can bet that they're not going to quit until they get their pound of flesh out of you as well. Certainly there are some instances where going into debt is an almost impossible circumstance. Buying a house, for instance. I, I don't know too many people, especially young people, that's going to be able to lay out a couple of hundred thousand dollars for a house now. This is another sign of slavery, though. Look at the prices of houses. My house has doubled, more than doubled in, in, in what it's worth since we've moved back from Florida. And that's less than five years ago. More than doubled. It's incredible. The way that these prices have escalated, it, it, it's wrong, in my opinion. Of course, look at the price of everything nowadays, and we don't need to have an amen on that one. But we know. Look at inflation. Look at everything. Look at all the blame that's being placed. There again, no, no amens. We just, I'll keep going. But just, it's harder and harder to make ends meet for all of us. The temptation to go out and borrow money needlessly, not a good idea. That money will be gone and you're still going to have to pay it back with interest. That's what verse 16 pertains to in some form or fashion, I do believe, especially the last half of the verse. It's said in our reading here, essentially it says that the one who becomes rich because of someone's poverty will face poverty themselves. 
poverty may not be ever seen or known here on earth, but it will be known. You can bet on that one. The love of money is the root of all evil. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Are we in love with it? Do we see it as a necessary evil in our language and in our lives today? Does it make the world go round? Let's get personal. Does it make your world go round? Are you a slave to your paycheck? That's perhaps maybe the toughest question of all, but that honestly is another sermon for another day. Be wise, Solomon says. Don't give in to the one who tries to make it look like you can have all of this money and it's just so easy to attain it. It ain't. Don't fall for the life that makes things look so easy, filled with unlimited income. You know who I blame on that? Just a side note. I blame soap operas. (laughs) I mean, you think about it. Who works on those things? You know, nobody lives badly. They're all dressed to the nines all the time. They're always going out to some expensive place to eat. And there's no people to wait on them or anything. The food just shows up. Okay? I mean, for years, for years and years, there has been this this appearance that you can just dress like that and nobody works, you know? I, I truly, I, you know, I know, that sounds crazy, but I blame, I blame soap operas. Anyway, don't fall for the life that looks easy, filled with unlimited income. Those things, for the most part, do not exist. Stick to the basics of life. If other things come, if you are able to, to if money falls into your lap, it comes. Learn to be satisfied with what you have. And know that in this life, the richness that we could attain is nowhere near the rich life we're going to find in heaven. Remember that promise above all. It is, after all, the only promise that really counts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for this lesson once again. It is hard to accept at times, and I know the younger we are, the harder it is to accept. But bless us, Lord, with a peace about money and about this this knowledge of money that we have, this love of the the root of of all evil. Uh, It's not the money itself. It's that love that we have for it. So would you help us? Continue to guide us, but we pray especially, Lord, for your wisdom. In In this case especially, bless us to that end. We ask you today in Jesus' name. Amen.